Well, good morning. Uh, my, uh, my name is Thomas, for those of you who might not know that. I'm one of the pastors here with Christ Redeemer Church. And uh, as I've had the opportunity to preach lately, I've been leading us through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to go ahead and uh, keep doing that this Sunday. Um, so you can open up your Bibles if you have one to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, we'll read through there uh, from verses 16 down to the end of the chapter here in a, in a few minutes. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you and you need one, you can raise your hand. Uh, Greg will get one to you, and you're welcome to take that home with you if you don't have one there either. But we'll read from there in just a few minutes. Now, the, the writer in Psalm 73, so not in Ecclesiastes here for just a second. In Psalm 73, verse 22, the writer there is speaking to God and he says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Or over in Job 18, verse 3, he says there, Why are we counted as cattle? Or beasts? Why are we stupid in your sight? Or Psalm 49, verse 20 says, Man in his pomp yet without understanding is like beasts that perish. So brutish, ignorant, stupid. I know we try to tell our kids not to use that word, but there is a time and a place for it. It's in the Bible, uh, and there's context for it. Without understanding. Well, so when the Bible compares us to uh, uh, animals or beasts, this is not really a compliment, okay? This is not really something that would flatter us. No, this is really meant to humble us. This is meant to point out our limitations. And then seeing our limitations, in some sense, it's meant to really manage our expectations. Uh, and God wants us, uh, he wants to do that for us. Here we see it in this passage that we're going to look at today. Uh, I'll just jump ahead quickly to verse 18. It says there, I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them so that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. God wants us to see that in some sense we are like beasts. How? Um, how are we like beasts in this context? And, uh, and how should we respond to that? Okay, I want to I pick at those questions here uh, with this message today. So how are we like beasts and how should we respond to that? So uh, let's uh, pray and then we'll read and, and move into those things. So Lord, I, I just thank you now for the chance that we all have to be gathered here. And I just simply would ask that you'd open our minds and you would help us to see what is true. And you would help us then to respond in a way that would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16, down to the end of the chapter. Verse 16, Moreover, I saw that under the sun, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. 
As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beasts goes down into the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Okay, so we are like beasts. Or, uh, uh, and, and how is that? How are we like beasts? Well, mainly I would say that we are limited in our understanding. To say that we're like beasts is to, is to say that um, we are ignorant to a degree. We're stupid to a degree. We, we're lacking understanding, especially when it comes to how we might understand God's timing. God's timing. Why, why does God do what he does when he does it? Why does he not do what he doesn't do when he doesn't do it or when he does do it or whatever? What's going on here with God doing what he does when he does it, especially with regard to God's judgment? So if you look at verses 16 to 17 again, the writer says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Now remember, back um, earlier in chapter 3 in verse 1, it says there, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And God determines that. God determines that. Verse 11 again, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made, so he's made everything to fit appropriately into its designated time. And yet, by our design as finite creatures, we cannot, we, we, we cannot find out, we cannot figure out just exactly what's going on there with what God is doing from beginning to end. At least not in such a way that we would kind of erase all mystery and all questions. So that in mind, the wickedness, or there's wickedness here, the writer's pointing out, in the place of justice. That's a major issue. That, that's, a, that's a serious issue. That's a major reason why a lot of people don't trust God. It's a, lot of, it's a reason why a lot of people don't even believe God exists. I mean, there's, there's, there's wickedness here. Why? If, if God is God, why is there wickedness and evil in, in the world? Why is there so much injustice? Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, even in this place of justice, and the writer may very likely be referring to a court of law. This is, this is the place where you would expect, if there's going to be justice anywhere, justice expressed anywhere, you would expect it to be expressed in a court of law. That's, that, that would be God's design. That would be the appropriate place for justice to be expressed. And yet we see the opposite. Where there is uh, where there should be justice, we see wickedness. And this is in no way according with God's designs. So, for example, uh, to press on a, a hot-button issue of our day, a hot-button uh, tragedy, really, of our day, it was in a court of law some years ago where it was declared legal for a mommy to kill her baby in her womb. That was said, it's okay. That's legal. That's okay. 
That's wickedness in the place of justice. And if God exists, why is he letting this happen? Why isn't he doing anything about it? And so the the writer actually raises this issue later in the book. Um, If you look over at chapter 8, verse verse 14. Similar things on his mind. He says there, 8, 14, "There there is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this, that this also is vanity. In other words, bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. That should not be. Bad things happening to good people. That's not the way that God designed the world to work. And seeing that, uh, seeing that that is in fact um, a major peace to the nature of futility that we see every day in our world that the writer is expressing uh, throughout Ecclesiastes. And he wants us to remember this. He wants us to feel the weight of this. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. And the writer speaks into the potential frustration that we would feel uh, in light of that, namely at verse 17. He says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. In other words, God has the situation well in hand. He determines the times and the season for everything, and he's wise, and he's good, he's just, and so there will be a time that he determines his best where he will pass judgment, and things will be set straight. The wicked will not always get away with their evil, The unjust will not escape justice. And the victims, those victimized, will will not always suffer. And they will be compensated. They will be restored. Now what's frustrating about this is that we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. And that can be maddening. We simply cannot understand God's designs. Um, We can't understand this, not completely. Not, at least as it concerns his judgment. And I think that it's in this sense, primarily, that I think in verse 18, God is testing us. God is, is, is... making us to see that we ourselves are but beasts. The fact that there's a lot, uh, the fact is that there's a lot of bad that's happening around the world, around the nation, around our neighborhoods, and it can be really difficult to trust God. It can be really difficult to, to trust God uh, in, in these moments. Um, knowing that God could step in at any moment and he could execute justice, uh, execute judgment. And yet he delays. Why is he allowing millions of examples that we could name of evils in our neighborhoods and in our nation and throughout the world? Why does he delay in his judgment? Uh, very legitimate questions. 
Yet we simply cannot know the answer to questions like that. Not at least in a way that would be totally satisfying and would just end all mystery. And I think this, it, it's in this sense that we are really like beasts. We are ignorant. We are stupid, to use the biblical word. Um, we are without understanding. And the, the very fact that we can't understand these kinds of things, I think, is designed by God to humble us. I think it, it shows us our lim- limitations. And, and this reminds us regularly that, in fact, we are finite creatures. We are not, in fact, God. And as finite creatures, then, as we are in this ignorance, this, this ignorance really is built into us as finite creatures. And so, again, we just simply cannot know all of the answers, especially as it's related to timing or questions about the timing of God's judgment. Um, we can't know these things. I mean, it's, it, we, we cannot know it. It's built into our nature. And so if we think we can, we are going to really live a discontented life, a really joyless life, a very frustrated life. And so we need to manage our expectations. We can't know all the answers. Um, but we can know some. The Bible, in his, God in his grace through the Bible, does give us some answers. There are some things that we can know. Um, there is a, there's a parable uh, uh, in Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus is speaking there. And I think, for example, the, par- uh, the parable there uh, relates to these sort of things and relates to these questions. And Jesus over there in, in Matthew 13, he says, or he tells this parable about a man who sowed seed uh, into a field he wanted to grow wheat. Well, then an enemy came along, and that enemy sowed weeds into this wheat field. And so while the wheat sprouted up, well, so did weeds. And the, the man's servant said, should we go pull up the weeds? I mean, this isn't right. And uh, the man said, no, uh, don't pull up the weeds. Because if you pull up the weeds, you might also pull up the wheat. And, and that could be harmful to the wheat. And so that wouldn't be good. And so he says, let the weeds grow with the wheat until the harvest. And then we'll pull everything up and we'll separate them and we'll burn all the weeds and we'll bring all the wheat into the barn. Okay, later then Jesus explained that parable. And he said, this has to do with his people. Uh, people who are following Christ, people of God's kingdom in the world, and those who are outside of Christ, the people of the devil. And, and it has to do with, the harvest has to do with the end of the age, Jesus says. So in Matthew 13, verses 41 to 43, Matthew 13, 41 to 43, uh, Jesus says there that the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, the Son of Man will send his angels... And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So that's not without mystery to me. There's mystery in that. But for some reason, God only knows... We get a hint there that for some reason, if God were to go through the earth and right now just yank up all of the the causes of sin, if he would go and yank up all the lawbreakers right now, 
somehow that could harm his people. Now that seems strange to me. I don't understand that. But it does seem to be at least part of an answer, if ever so slight, part of an answer why God delays his judgment. Somehow, if he were to just judge right now today, that would somehow harm, bring harm to his people, to the people of his kingdom. Uh, But we are assured, we are assured that a judgment day is coming. We are assured of that. Now the writer in um, in Ecclesiastes probably doesn't have this so-called final judgment, kind of end of the age judgment in mind, probably. Um, He's probably thinking of some sort of justice that will be rendered in this life. He's thinking there's a time for everything. Well, there's got to be a time for justice. And he's thinking it's going to come in this life. But that judgment that might be on his mind and any righteous judgment that we see around us today should point us out beyond the horizon of Ecclesiastes to Jesus and the, the New Testament. And, and in that sense, there is a final day of judgment that is coming. And Jesus himself, in fact, will be the judge. He will be the one to render that judgment. So if you look over at 2 Thessalonians 1 with me briefly. 2 Thessalonians 1. 2 Thessalonians 1 uh, is an extremely sobering passage, in my opinion. But it speaks directly to God's judgment and to the timing of his judgment and the objects of his judgment and the instrument of his judgment and it offers comfort for victims. So 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, verses 6 to 9. Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Again, that is an incredibly sobering passage, I think. But it speaks directly to us in our frustration and in our limited knowledge related to both the wickedness that we see in the world and God's judgment. So we don't have every question answered related to these things. Um, We're limited in our understanding and knowledge like beasts. But we do get some answers. Namely, God will judge. God considers it just to repay oppressors for their oppressing. And God is going to grant relief to the oppressed. And Jesus, in fact, commanding his angels will be the one to render judgment and vengeance and affliction and punishment. And Jesus will do that when when he returns, when he comes back at the end of the age. And so, so get this, God commands all of time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. And as I pointed out last Sunday, Galatians 4.4 4 says, at the fullness of time, Jesus came. Jesus was sent into the world. And Romans 5.6 says that Jesus died for his people at just the right time. 
Well, fast forward, Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 31 says that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, namely Jesus. Jesus is that man. So at a a fixed day, in God's command of time, Jesus will judge the world. So he came the first time to offer forgiveness of sin. He came to offer power from God to turn from our sins and to live for him, to live in fear of God, in line with God's designs. He came came the first time to make that offer and to secure that offer to anybody who would receive it. And we're still living in that time today. That offer is still good for anybody who would say, yes, I, I want that forgiveness and that power in Jesus, that righteousness in Jesus. But this time is going to come to an end. And, and there'll be this mysterious transition into a, a different time, into, into eternity that, 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 that goes on ahead of us for eternity. And uh, Jesus is coming back again somewhere in there, somewhere in that transition. And when he comes again, he's going to come in judgment. He's coming in a very different way than he came the first time. He's coming in in judgment. Judgment on all of those who in the end refuse that offer of forgiveness, um, who in the end don't know God, who don't obey the gospel of Jesus. That, that gospel that is the good news about who Jesus is and, and what he has done in order to secure our forgiveness and our favor with God for anyone who would receive him. Again, I think this is very sobering, but it reminds us that we are but beasts. We're like a bunch of animals at some level. In other words, we simply lack the capacity to, to, to fully understand all of the details of how all of this is going to work out in God's mind and in God's designs and in God's timing. And so we get some answers, and while that's true, we, we just cannot understand everything, though we can understand some things. Um, but we're not going to understand everything that's at least going to erase all mystery. So we need to exercise some caution, manage some expectations about how we're moving through this life and what we think we can even know. Um, we can know some things are true, but we can't know always how they're true or why they're true or, or when they're true, even though we can know that they are true. So God shows us that we are but beasts in that way. Uh, and in verse 19, uh, I think uh, it says that we're like beasts in another way as well. Namely, just like animals, we die. Plain and simple. As one dies, so dies the other. Verse 19. In the end, we are ve- every bit as fragile as, uh, and powerless in the face of death um, as any animal. Uh, my daughter spotted a, a little a little dead mouse outside of our, uh, underneath the step outside our door the other day. And, uh, and don't miss the lesson there. That dead mouse, there's our fate. That's, that's our end. As one dies, so dies the other. Uh, and in fact, in light of this discussion here about God's judgment, this is part of it. I mean, the fact that we will die is part of 
God's judgment. So God has actually already begun, to some degree, his judgment against wickedness. So verse 20 says, All go to one place. All are from the dust, and, and to dust all return. And that language there, about returning to dust, that should point us back to, way back to Genesis chapter 3, where we read there about God's original judgment on humanity in the wake of uh, the first human's sin. Um, so back in Genesis 3.19, in the wake of the first human's sin, God said to the man, he said, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, you're going to die. And that's judgment. And this is, in fact, where death comes from. You ever wonder why we even have to deal with death in this life? Uh, this is it. Genesis three nineteen. Um, so the first humans, they were wicked where they should have been. They were exercising wickedness where they should have been exercising justice. And they were representing all of humanity as they did that. And so God, as he judged them, that judgment has now been passed down to all of humanity um, at all times, in all places. And so like the beasts, we die. Um, and the writer presses this, the, 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 the issue of death a bit in verses 19 to 21. But um, I think for, for all of the talk of death, there um, things related to our dying in verses 19 to 21, I think what the writer is trying to do there is not so much emphasize death, um, but I think he's more just trying to beef up this comparison that he's making between us and the beasts. In other words, the bigger point that the, the writer is trying to stress is this metaphor that we are like the beasts. And, and the deeper meaning of that metaphor is not that we die, though that's true, but I think there's a, the deeper meaning of it is that we are uh, lacking in our understanding, brutish, ignorant, without understanding. So even related to death and what we might understand. Notice the last line in verse 20, verse 22, excuse me. The last line in verse 22. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? In other words, who knows what's coming after us and, and who knows what's, especially what's coming after death? Uh, and that question itself exposes a lack of understanding. It expo it's an expression of, of our beastiness. In other words, we're, that we're ignorant about these sorts of things. We don't fully understand. And this is really mysterious stuff. I mean, who knows what is going to happen to us after we die? Or verse 21, who knows whether the spirit of man goes up or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? It's a legitimate question. And a, a question a lot of people might ask. This is really mysterious stuff. These are big questions. These are really some of the biggest and more, most important questions that anybody could actually ask. Um, and, and actually, I think the writer is, is more enlightened on these things than he, uh, than he lets on here in, in chapter 3. I say that because over in chapter 12, uh, in verse 7, for example, chapter 12, verse 7 He's referring to the time of death over there, and he says there, the dust returns to the earth as it was. Sounds familiar. But then he goes on to say, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So in chapter 3, he's asking, hey, 
where, what, what happens with the spirit when we die? Up or down? Anything different from the beasts? Legitimate question. Serious question. But then in chapter 12, he does seem to actually have at least some of an answer to that question. Namely, the spirit returns to God who gave it. So in light of that, I would say that the, the ignorance that is expressed here in this chapter is probably not having to do with kind of what will happen with regard to the spirit but much more about how that happens, the details of it. That's weird and confusing. So not so much related exactly to how that's going to, or not so much that it will happen, but more how is this going to happen. This is mysterious. And, uh, and actually, he, he, um, there's another expression of this, I think, from the writer over in chapter 11. Uh, they're talking about the spirit uh, and, and the body, And at chapter 11, verse 5, you could just peek there since I'm talking about it. Chapter 11, verse 5, uh, the writer, he's pointing out again, I think, a lack of understanding related to our spirit. And at 11, verse 5, there it says, As you do not know the way the spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So we can know some things. I mean, we, we can know that God knits babies together in mommy's wombs, but, but we can't fully grasp how that works exactly, especially how the physical formation of baby's body gets connected to the spirit in this baby. Uh, who knows? It's, it's mysterious, and, and we can't know that. We were never intended to know that. We're not built to understand exactly how that dynamic works between body and, and spirit. Um, but we do know that God does it somehow. And we can rest in that. And uh, so we can know that God works and God does things from beginning all the way to the end. We can know uh, some of that, but we can't understand it completely, at least not in a way that would erase all mystery. And, and, and so we're like beasts in that regard, ignorant um, without understanding. And as verse 18 says, God wants us to see that about ourselves. God wants us to see this ignorance in us in light of Ecclesiastes 3. So seeing that then, how would we respond to that? How do we respond to this? Well, notice how the writer responds. Um, and, and notice the logic. Notice why he responds the way that he does. Uh, so if you look at verse 22 again, In light of all this, the writer says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So notice the logic in that response. Um, The writer is saying that because we don't know what comes after us, we can't know for certain about tomorrow, we certainly can't know about after we die, but... Because we don't know all the details about then, he's saying, well, make the most of right now. Make the most of what we do know right now with the time that we have, especially as this relates to our daily work. Because we do know some things. So don't get overly concerned with what you don't know, um, especially with what, in fact, you were never designed to know or understand. Like, for example, the timing of God's judgment, or uh, just exactly how God does knit our spirits and our bodies together. Um, 
or exactly how he even creates uh, babies in the womb and, and how, what happens when our spirits um, return to God. These are things that are difficult to comprehend. And so let's be careful to, I think, according to the logic of the passage, to not get hung up with all of this that God is doing from beginning to end uh, that we just can't understand. Rather, grab a hold of what we do know and understand appreciate that, grab a hold of what we do have, enjoy it as the gift of God that it is. Especially right now, today, your daily work. This is God's gift to you. It's God's gift to me. This is, this is God's way to provide for you, your food, your drink, your house, all that you have. This is your lot. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, um, we should never try to change our lot, change our circumstances um, if we can but there's just a caution there that today is today. And so until that lot is changed, to, we have today. Um, enjoy it. Enjoy our lot today. All we ever have is today, in fact. We can never stand at a moment in time and say, it's tomorrow. Can't ever do it. It's impossible. We have today. And so as we have today, um, see the good in our lots Grab a hold of what we do know, what we can understand, appreciate that, um, enjoy it, embrace it as the, the good gift from God that it is. And again, notice the logic. Namely, act on what you know to make the most of the time that you have to enjoy it while you can. Okay, so according to that logic then, we should also, uh, you and me here today, on this side of of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, we should also act uh, with regard to what we know and the time that we have, okay? And in light of Jesus and the New Testament, again, we know that Jesus came initially to die for the sins of his people, and we know that there is a fixed time in the future when he is coming back where he will judge. And, and we know that at that time, he will judge the wicked and he will comfort his people. So knowing that, then, the proper response essentially is to be on the right side of that judgment. Be counted among the righteous rather than the wicked. And we do that simply by trusting Jesus. Trust that Jesus was righteous for us, and, and he, his righteousness is credited to us if we'll receive that. Um, he died like we all die, like the beasts. Jesus died. Um, but his death was a little bit different. He died, uh, unlike you and me, unlike the beasts, to bear the punishment, to bear the judgment uh, that we all deserve because of our wickedness in our place. And then he didn't stay dead. Right? He rose up from dead, and so he proves that he has power over death itself, so he has power to actually grant us the eternal life that he promises us if we will trust in him. And in, in fact, in Acts 17, I quoted from earlier, um, when Paul sa- the Apostle Paul there says that he's fixed a day on which he'll judge, and Jesus will be that judge, you know what he, he grounds uh, that, that statement in? He says, God's proved this, by raising Jesus from the dead. So, Jesus' resurrection, his defeat of death, is proof positive 
that Jesus is coming back to judge the wicked and to comfort his people. That's, that's what the Bible offers to us as proof for the fact that Jesus is going to return to judge the wicked and to comfort his people. And so again, as the logic goes then, we do see what comes after us to a degree and so act accordingly. Namely, trust Jesus. Trust him to rescue us from God's judgment. Trust Jesus to pull up the weeds, so to speak. The weeds will get pulled up. It will happen. That's really, really good news. We, we don't like the injustice and wickedness we see in the world, right? It's going to get yanked up. The weeds will be yanked up and they're going to be tossed into the fire, so to speak. Trust Jesus that he is going to gather his people into his barn, so to speak, into this eternal life that we will have with him and his people. That's mysterious for sure. We don't understand all the ins and outs of it. Um, but as we're thinking about eternity, it's pretty cool to think about that in the same way that God joined our spirits to our bodies and our mommy's womb, and that is strange, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but in the same way or a similar way, he will then join our spirits back to our bodies as our bodies are resurrected to live in eternity with him and his people forever. I mean, that's really the, the time that we have to consider when we would want to understand our, uh, what we know about our time, about our circumstances. Well, that's something we know about time. Eternity with resurrected bodies. And so um, I thought this was insightful. One of my friends pointed this out to me the other day. He said that, that, that well, actually I think it was a couple friends and maybe Beth Moore through my wife's Bible study and these different things. But, so I don't know who to give credit for for this. But the idea, I'll give it to Brett. Perfect. Um, the, the idea is that we're really not running out of time. Not in the sense that we're coming up to death and then that's it. And so, kind of make the most of it, right? Well, because of Jesus and eternity, we're really not running out of time. We're running into time. And uh, it's pretty cool to think about that. We're not running out of time. We're running into time. And so, knowing that that's our eternal lot, well, now let's make the most of what we do know about our time, and that is eternity. So, let's make the most of that lot. And we do that, really, in essence, by by aiming to please Jesus throughout all of our lives. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus with the time uh, that we do have before that time of death where there's some mysterious transition that happens there into eternity. So remember still with all of this, right? Again, I'm, I, I keep emphasizing it here. We are like beasts, okay? So not much of a compliment for us not really meant to flatter us. Uh, it's meant to humble us. And it's meant to help us, uh, I think, just see things a little bit more clearly. It's meant to manage our expectations in a, in a big way. And so know, so expect that we're not going to get all the details of God's designs or, or the details of the, the timing of his judgment. Uh, and not in any, any precise way anyway. Not in any way that's going to erase all mystery. But we can know kind of the big contours. Uh, and we can know that certain things are true even though we don't know how they're true or why they're necessarily true or when they're necessarily true. Uh, and, and, and the good news that, is that included in that, the big contours is that we can know everything we do need to know in order to be rescued from God's judgment and to live in such a way that is uh, pleasing to him with what we have and with what we know.
Let's pray. So I just ask for your help with that, Lord. Uh, I come to you as a brute. I come to you as ignorant. I come to you as one who has not near the understanding that I often like to think that I have. We desperately need you, Lord, to help us to know what's true. Despite what we might feel, help us to know in the deepest parts of our hearts, in the deepest parts of our minds, what is in fact true. And help us to live well in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.